All right. Um, I hit the audio button. There we go. And I got the video rolling. All right, let's, um, let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, Father, for the great love that you have for us, and Lord, for what Jesus has done for us as us, as our substitute. And Father, because of the stripes that he took on his back, um, he bought and paid for healing uh, for our bodies. And so, Lord, I pray over everyone that's in the room tonight, everyone that's watching online, and uh, Lord, those who have been a part of the class but are not here tonight uh, because uh, they're receiving healing, Lord, uh, over some sickness in their body. So, Lord, we just agree together in faith and we say be healed. In Jesus' name, we release healing, Father, by faith into their bodies and we thank you, Lord, for a supernatural speedy recovery, Lord, for our sister uh, Betty, Lord, as she, as she recovers from uh, some eye surgery today as well, we thank you for your hand upon her and, and just, Lord, your healing in her body. Uh, and Lord, we thank you tonight for what you have prepared for us. Um, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is going to lead us and guide us tonight, reveal truth to us in our inward parts. Father, thank you that you're renewing and reconditioning our minds, Father, to think like you think, Lord, to see things the way you see them, and, and to believe your word and your truth, Father, with every uh, part of our inward being and our inward man. Thank you, Lord, again, for life and peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so, Lord, thank you tonight for life and peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. All right, <clears throat> let's. Um, there's a couple things that we did not get to from last week that uh, I kind of sit there in front of my notes uh, this afternoon thinking, well, maybe we just kind of set those aside and move on. Um, but I really felt like that would be a mistake. And so, um, if I could just give you a little, uh, a brief overview, review of, of where we are, um, our, our cornerstone keystone, golden text, if you will, for this entire 36 weeks of classes is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he talks there about this ministry of reconciliation that we've all been given because we've been reconciled to Jesus by the blood of, to God the Father by the blood of Jesus, and that to be effective in this ministry of reconciliation, he has committed to each of us the word of reconciliation. And so to understand the, 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 the word of his power and, and exactly what it is we've been given to participate in and be effective in this ministry of reconciliation, we've taken a few weeks now to, to, to look at these things. Now, the last two weeks, uh, or week and a half or so, I guess, of classes, we've looked at just the kingdom of God in general. And um, last week, we, we began by talking about the gospel of salvation compared to, uh, or in, in comparison to the gospel of the kingdom. And while the gospel of salvation is important, this was not the, the message, if you will, that Jesus preached. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom with salvation as the means of entry into that kingdom. And we looked last week at verse after verse after verse where Everywhere Jesus went, everywhere His disciples went, everywhere uh, the first 70 missionaries that Jesus sent out, everywhere they went, they were instructed to preach the good news of the kingdom. And we even looked at where Jesus taught us about the end times and we see all these different things happening in the world around us that there would be a lot of people who would say, man, the end is near because this is happening. The end is near because there's earthquakes. The end is near 
because there's wars and rumors of war. But Jesus said, the end will not be until the gospel of the kingdom is preached, right? To every people group, to every nation. So, one thing that I think we said early on in these classes, but we did not emphasize the last two weeks that I, that I do want to emphasize uh, again tonight based upon what we've uh, looked at already. So let, before I do that, let's go to Matthew 13, 52, the message translation. Remember, this is after Jesus taught multiple parables saying the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. Then he turns to his disciples and he says, all right, have you got all this? And they said, yes, sir, we got it all. And Jesus basically says, do you really? Because um, <clears throat> then uh, you see how every student well-trained in God's kingdom is like the owner of a general store who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. This is the message translation of Matthew um, 13.52. Remember we looked at the verses where the kingdom doesn't come with observation. It's Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And the kingdom that he has given to you and me is within you and me. Okay, so the kingdom of God is um, within us. Now, when we talk about, <clears throat> let's go back to this. We talk about the gospel of salvation. I'm not saying that this is all the gospel of salvation is about, but I, I want you to think with me for a moment. What most people take away from this message is, get saved, go to heaven when we die. Amen. Is that, is that fair enough? I, mean, I don't think I'm exaggerating that or, or, or overstating that. You know, we hear this message, you know, do you, it, sometimes it's even uh, uh, put within the context of, do you know, uh, you know where you would wind up if you died tonight? If you died in your sleep, would you wake up in heaven or would you wake up in hell? And listen, hell is a real place. Heaven is a real place. I'm, I'm not saying that that is not important. Our eternal destination is absolutely important. But this tends to be the takeaway when people, are, are only, when people only have the gospel of salvation preached to them. Let me try to simplify it. The gospel of salvation tends to put us in this mode of getting into heaven when we die. Okay? The gospel of the kingdom, which is the gospel that Jesus preached, it's not focused on getting um, you into heaven so much as it is getting heaven into you. Do you see the difference there? Um, because Father wants to get heaven, His kingdom, into you because He wants His kingdom into the earth around you. And so for it to come from Him into you and then from into you, out of you, through you, if you will, into the world around you. Now, we'll get to this in greater detail, but it's so important I keep mentioning it again and again, and that is, Father did not just create you to have something or someone else to rule over, but His intentions for you and me were not just rule over us, but to rule through us. He wants to rule through you. Remember, even in 2 Corinthians 5, when you speak as an ambassador, as a minister of reconciliation, it is as if God Himself is speaking through you to another person, saying, be reconciled to God. So obviously if we use His words, right? Uh, the word of reconciliation that he has uh, given to us. All right, now, let me, um, thank you, Jesus. We said last week that the most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king and that your king has spoken some things about you. See, he's had some things to say about you. He's had some things to say to you. He's had some things to say about your life, your family, 
your future? Um, do you know what it is that he has spoken? All right. So let's go now to Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 9. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 9. This is a passage that I would imagine you are very familiar with. <clears throat> but um, I just want to, and, and sometimes this works better, uh, you know, after we've, you know, went an hour and 40 minutes talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Um, but I believe those things are in you now. Amen. That truth is in you and it's working in you. Um, but see if this verse now doesn't take on, uh, you know, exponentially more meaning to you in light of what we have learned so far about the kingdom. And this is when Jesus taught us to pray. He said, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we see this recorded in a couple of, uh, you know, of the Gospels. And we see that in one of those, uh, we have some background details. And basically, the disciples asked Jesus to, you know, hey, will you teach us how to pray? And I think it was pretty clear that, you know, when Jesus prayed, he got answers, like every time. And um, these were men of prayer, but probably, you know, like some of us, you know, they... They weren't quite that successful, uh, at least, uh, you know, in their praying. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, you know, you got this praying thing down, man. Why don't you teach us how to pray? Now, a lot of times this is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. I'm not here to try to split some hair over that, but this is a model prayer. Um, Jesus' prayer was pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send labors into the That was his prayer, right? This is him teaching us how to pray. And so when he says in this manner, he's saying follow this template. Follow this pattern. Follow this example. And so notice that it begins with our Father in heaven. So I'm not here to teach on these things tonight. We could spend a couple of classes on all this. But realize what Jesus is saying there when he says our Father. You realize he's saying that his dad is my dad. His dad is your dad. He didn't say you pray to my father. He said you pray to our father. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Amen. Jesus is dad and my dad same dad. Okay? And because of Jesus, we have the same access to him now uh, that Jesus has. So our father. Now, he is God. As, as I was uh, talking to some folks this week, um, you know, the Bible teaches that He's the potter, I'm the clay. He's the creator, I'm the creation. Now, He's infinitely more to me than a potter, and I am so much more to Him than just a lump of clay spinning around on a wheel. But that's where our relationship began, and I can never lose sight of that. So He's God. He is Jehovah. He is, he is God and creator of the universe. But notice that Jesus says, follow this pattern. When you're praying, you're not just praying to the God of the universe, you're talking to your daddy. You're talking to your Abba, who loves you and who desires uh, to help you and who takes great pleasure in giving good things to you. So Jesus' dad, my dad, and I'm not just pray praying to some entity, some God somewhere, but I'm talking to my Father, and He's in heaven. And then this, this next part, hallowed, hallowed be your name, 
Um, when you pray, uh, spend some time reverencing who He is. Um, true worship is not just an outward act of raising the hands or clapping the hands or dancing or running while we practice all of that here at Heritage. But at the heart of true worship is a recognition on your part, on my part, of two things. Who God is and who I am, who you are in relationship to Him. And that's what hallowing His name means. It's taking a moment to pause. And, and, and I like to, when I hallow His name, remember we've already talked a little bit about how He introduced Himself throughout the Scriptures as our healer, as our righteousness, as our deliverer, as our provider. So hallowing His name, reverencing His name. Then Jesus says to pray after this manner, follow this example. Our Father who art in heaven, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when this was originally written in the Greek, it, there was a grammatical structure used um, for emphasis, and, and, and that grammatical structure is not one that's lost on English. Um, it was written verb first, okay? Verb first. So, what this would, a literal translation would look more like this. Come kingdom, be done will of God, on earth as it is in heaven. Alright? So, if you think about the, the usage of the language, anytime we use verb first, we're uh, doing so for emphasis, for, for urgency. Um, in, in other words, it's, it's almost as if, if, if I could act this out, it's, it's almost as if you're putting your foot down when you say it. Okay? Alright? So think like uh, uh, a, a dog threatening you. Um, I had some pit bulls follow me into my uh, basement garage. Uh, when was that, Pam? Was that last Wednesday night? Last Sunday night? Anyway, they turned out to be pretty friendly pups. But anyway, um, but so the idea is, you know, Get! Right, you're, you're, there's, a, there's a, an emphasis in, in, in your voice when, when, when you put the verb first. Okay, you, you, you follow what I'm saying? If your friend looks at you and says, "Run!" Right, <laughs> you know, there's, amen. They're, you know, they don't, they're not taking the time to say, "Hey, you know, you might want to consider evacuating." Um, no, if they say, "Run!" Right, you know, I mean, it's you know, something serious is, is going down. Amen. So the idea is that you know, with, with emphasis, with authority, we're calling for the kingdom to come. Come kingdom! And then again, putting our foot down. Be done, will of God. Right here, right now, on earth, as it is in heaven. Now remember what we looked at in Matthew uh, 18, where, where Jesus taught us, after giving us the keys to the kingdom, remember this? And he said, whatever you bind on earth, having already been bound in heaven, will be bound on earth. Whatever you loose on earth, having already been released or loosed in heaven, will be released, loosed upon the earth. So notice, we're calling for the kingdom. That's, remember, the kingdom is the rule of God, the reign of God, the realm of God, uh, the, 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 the resources of God. Come, realm of God. Come, reign of God. Come, resources of God. Be done, will of God. Now, I think the clear connection here is we need the kingdom to come so that the will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. If the same kingdom that is there is now also here, 
That means the authority, the power, the ability, the resources, right, are also here. So come kingdom, be done will of God on earth as it is in heaven. Now, one last thing that, that, that will... Are you getting anything out of this? All right. See, this is how we need to pray. Jesus teaching us how to pray here. Jesus taught us to speak answers directly to problems. Amen. See, what a lot of people do is, you know, they have a problem, that problem's asking them a question, and they just simply take the questions that their problems are asking them, and they ask God those same questions and call that prayer. My friend, that's not prayer. That's not prayer. There, there is an offensiveness to this. And by, by offensiveness, I don't mean offended. Obviously, it's offensive to the devil. But I mean, we're not, we're not going to be on the defensive. We're going on the offensive, Right? This is, this is a, a calling for the kingdom and a, and a, and a declaring for, for God's will to be done. See, Jesus, Jesus looked at somebody that was sick and He would say, be healed. Right? Come out. Be whole. Be free. Be well. Right? Arise. Come forth. See, you see what He's doing. That's, that's, that's how Jesus operated. Remember, He's setting the example for you and me on, on how to operate. We're, we're taking the authority and power and resources of the kingdom, and where, is, where are those things? They're in us, right? And now we're declaring those things. We're releasing those things. We're, we're putting those things in, 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 in motion by the words that we speak. Remember, the heir, as long as he's a child, differs nothing from a slave, though he be Lord of all. And that child is ignorant, immature, and that third one, anybody remember it? unable to speak on his or her own behalf. So do you see why that's such a key factor in, in you and me ruling and reigning in life, having the maturity, having the, 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 the un, I'm sorry, the first one is ignorance. So ignorant, ignorance is solvable, right? It's treatable. <laughs> Come on now. Amen. We can learn. Immaturity. Thank God. We, we can grow. That's just not something that's not fully developed. But then that third one, and I believe they fall in that order. You've got to have the understanding to mature, and you've got to have the maturity to be able to speak on your own behalf. In other words, where, where you rise up like Jesus and do what He did and what He's teaching us to do right here. Now, again, we could talk so much about these things. They're so rich and so important. Remember, if you only pray when the devil attacks you or somebody that you know and love, you're letting him set the agenda. You're, you're letting Him determine not only um, when you pray, but what you pray about when you do. Okay? And the body of Christ has got to get out of that mode. That's reactive. Okay? That's defensive. We've got to get out of reactive and defensive and get into proactive and get on the offense. Amen. And start taking the battle to the enemy. Amen? Alright. So, one last thing here. And I think Jesus, again, by the Holy Spirit, is emphasizing this uh, strategically. Where is Father when we're praying? He's in heaven. And where is it understood, not stated, but where is it understood that we are? I mean, it's stated here, but where is it? Clue, right? Where, where are we when we're praying? On earth, right? So we're here on the earth, speaking to our Father in heaven, calling for His kingdom to come and for His will, of, will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Alright. So... When we look then at sickness, when we look then at lack and poverty, you know, need and, and, and people in bondage and things of this nature, 
you know, how did Jesus set them free? He used the, the, the resources of God's kingdom. He used the, the authority and the power of God's kingdom. Remember what he said, if you see me casting out devils, it can only mean one thing, right? That the kingdom is now among you. Is this, is this making sense to you? All right, now, go with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse number 7. So I have, uh, I sometimes read a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and um, it's one of my favorite quotes from him. And uh, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna do that now. And then we'll, then we'll look at Isaiah 44, and verse seven. All right? Can you turn and listen at the same time? So this is Charles Spurgeon, and he's talking about the the Word of God. He says, "I do not know whether you see that lion." It is very distinctly before my eyes a number of persons advance to attack him while a host of us would defend that grand old monarch and lion-like king of the jungle, L-I-O-N, okay? Again, I don't know whether you see that lion. It is very distinctly before my eyes a number of persons advance to attack him while a host of us would defend the grand old monarch. Pardon me if I offer a quiet suggestion. Open the door and let the lion out. He will take care of himself. Why? They are gone. He no sooner goes forth in his strength than his assailants flee. The way to meet infidelity is to spread the Bible. The answer to every objection against the Bible is the Bible. Amen. All right, so... See, again, we, you know, so many people in the church, they're trying to defend the Bible. They're trying to, you know, oh, I can't believe they're attacking that. You know, he's like, do you see the line? Quit trying to defend him and just let him loose. Let him loose. Right? Okay, praise God. Isaiah 44, have you found it yet? All right. So what we see here um, is a counterpart to 51. Remember Isaiah 51, 16, where, where he says, I've covered you with the shadow of my hands, I've put my words in your mouth, so that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, saying, Zion, you are my people. Here's what he says in Isaiah 44 and 7. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people, And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Okay? Who can proclaim as I do? The King James Version says, who can call as I do? Right? So the the idea is that, that this is giving us insight, first of all, into how God operates. Now this is really important because we're about to turn another corner and we're going to enter in the next section is entitled three questions and I think I gave you a little preview of that last week or just a mention of that last week and one of the first things we're going to look at when we get to that section is the Bible teaches that you were created in the image and likeness of God anybody ever heard that image and likeness of God Genesis 1 and 26 now image and likeness are not being redundant or repetitive. In other words, they don't mean the same thing. Um, Image and likeness means that you were created to look like God looks, but also that you were created to function the way He functions. 
That's really important. See, that means if we're going to understand how we were you know, intended to function by God, we need to learn about how He functions because we were created to function the way He functions. Amen. He created us in His image and likeness to look like He looks and to function the way He functions. So notice, this is key insight then into how God functions. He proclaims, He declares, and He sets it in order. Okay? So when we talk about utilizing the Word of God, when we talk about um, you know, rightly dividing and skillfully applying the Word of God, we see that, that God is a God who calls. So let me show you this then, real quick. Like Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. When God says, who shall proclaim or call as I do, how does God call when He calls things? He calls things that be not as though they were. Okay? So, for instance, we see, you know, and God said, let there be light. He literally said, light be. Light be. And when He said that, light was, and this was before, it's not going to be until uh, later in creation that, that we see the, the sun, the moon, and the stars are created. The entrance of His Word gives light. So God says, light be. So, to call means to call things that be not as though they were. To speak of something that does not exist as though it did. Right? Anybody ever heard this? Before Romans 4 and 17, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Okay? Now, calling something that does exist as though it does not is called denial. That's not what it says. It doesn't say God calls something that does exist as if it doesn't. He calls that which does not exist as though it does. Okay? So if there's a mountain in your way, he didn't say deny the mountain, right? He said speak to the mountain and tell it to move, to get out of your way, right? Are you seeing this? All right, so when God calls, how does he call? He calls things that be not as though they um, already exist. Now, the next word we saw in Isaiah 44 was that word declare, and here we see that the Scriptures teach us, God said to you and me, declare a thing, and I will establish it for you. This is found in Job 22 and 28. You will also declare a thing. Who declares things, and once He declares those things, they're established. This is again how God functions. But notice now, He's instructing you and me to operate this way. He's instructing you and me to call things that be not uh, as though they were. Now, he's telling us that if we will declare a thing, that he will establish it for us. All right, let's do this real quick. We talked about the king, the priest, and the prophet. For those of you who are here, this will be review. For those of you who are not, this will be a quick planting of these things. The Old Testament, we see three key offices established by God, and each of those offices involved God placing an anointing or an empowerment, an enablement upon the folks that occupied those offices to perform the duties uh, of those offices. They were, they were uh, offices intended to be a blessing to and of service to God's people. So when we talk about 
the office of the prophet. Although the prophets did much more than this, the key uh, assignment uh, for the prophet was the prophet spoke to the people on God's behalf. The priest reversed that. The priest spoke to God on the people's behalf. Are you seeing this? So God would give the prophet a message, and then the prophet would speak that message to God's people. We have, we have prophecies that God gave to us. I mean, He gave it all to us, but I'm talking about things that have not yet happened that He gave, uh, we should, maybe we could say for us, right? Uh, you know, that are recorded in the Old Testament. It's God speaking to His people through the prophet. The priest, on the other hand, spoke to God on behalf of the people. But the king, remember, the king made declarations. The king would declare a thing. Okay? That was the primary uh, uh, responsibility of the king. Now remember, you are a royal priesthood. Amen. In other words, because Jesus was king, priest, and prophet, David, remember, was king, priest, and prophet. Jesus was the son of David. You have been anointed in all three areas by the Holy Spirit. To speak to God on behalf of people. To speak to people on behalf of God. But my brother and sister, do not lose track of this fact. You are a royal priest. Amen. Meaning you also have been empowered by God to declare some things. He said, declare it and I will establish it for you. Sounds kind of like whatever you bind, I'll bind. Whatever you loose, I'll loose. That doesn't sound kind of like it. It sounds exactly like it. He's saying, you declare it, I'll back it. Amen. Amen. I get stirred up about this. Praise God. So we, when I say we, we the people, we declared our independence uh, from British rule and then fought something called the Revolutionary War. And as we declared it, then we had to go establish it, right? God is saying, you declare it, He'll establish it. You declare it, He'll establish it. What, what are you declaring? See, <laughs> Again, one of our problems is we don't realize we're, we're making the devil's case for him. We're declaring our poverty. We're declaring our fear. We're declaring our lack. We're declaring our pain. We're declaring our symptoms. We're, de we're, we're not calling things that, that be not as though they were. We're calling, we're calling a spade a spade, Pastor Mark. And it's like, well, I'm just, just, just telling it like it is. Well, like it is inwardly or like it is outwardly. Like it is in your circumstances or like it is in the Word? Whose report are you going to believe? Right, you, you see now. So, to make a declaration. What are you declaring? Amen. Remember, angels hearken to the voice of His Word. You're the voice of His Word. And their ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation. They, they, they're the ministering spirits that, that come to do His Word, to perform His Word. What are you declaring for them to be able to perform now this last one remember he said call declare and the last thing he said in Isaiah 44 was and who will be like me and set it in order set it in order oh man that one stirs me up right there Genesis 1 and 28 it says I've got the, I got it on the screen then God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay? So what is this? Why are we going to this verse? That word there that says subdue, 
That literally means if anything gets out of order, subdue it. Bring it back into order. Do not allow it. Right? What happened was, you know, the enemy got involved and things went rogue. And Adam's responsibility was to bring that back into alignment. And of course, we know that he did not do that. So, you have been empowered by God to call, to declare, and to set some things in order. Now, when we talk about setting some things in order, I want you just to think for a moment some things that may be out of order or out of alignment in your life. Remember, He has covered you with the shadow of His hand. He has put His words in your mouth so He can plant the heavens, lay the foundations. Remember we said the foundations were out of course because of mankind's sin. So there's some things that are out of order that need to be put in order. Did Jesus put some stuff in order? Did He set some things in order while He was here on this earth as a man? He absolutely did. He absolutely did. He put some things right that were wrong. Amen. Obviously, we could talk about a whole bunch of things, but to me, where this really, really, really stands out in Jesus' earthly ministry was when He put weather patterns in order. Where, where, in other words, foul weather trying to destroy Him and His disciples. Um, that, that, that wind was out of order. That storm was out of order. Jesus put it back in order, right? He told it to be quiet and lay down. Amen? It would be like if, if you were teaching a, a class of preschoolers and one of them was being out of order. One of them was being disorderly, right? And you, and you put the kid in order, right? You tell little Johnny to get in his seat and keep his hands to himself, okay? And that's basically what Jesus did, you know, to you know, hurricane-slash-tornado-slash-typhoon type situations. He told little Johnny Hurricane to get back in his seat put his hands in his lap, shut his mouth, and be still. He set it in order. Come on now. Amen. <laughs> ah, I'm t- this is you and me. Amen. Yeah, praise God. I'm trying to stir you up. It's not working. We'll keep, we'll keep trying. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Let me give you another one. Psalm 138, verse 2. Psalm 138, verse 2. This will be a good one for you to mark, so I'm going to give you a moment to turn there. Well, there's a bunch of Psalms, aren't there? Amen. Are you thankful for the Psalms? There's even prophetic Psalms. Psalms that, that David wrote that were prophetic in nature. He gave uh, such an accurate picture of crucifixion before it was ever a form of execution. Um, just absolutely amazing. Psalm 138 verse number 2. It says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Now, just so you'll make sure, the, the, the pronouns here are referring to God. That's why they're capitalized. What he's saying here is that God places His Word over Himself. 
You ever seen somebody like that was in authority and they expected everybody else to toe the line, but not them? That somehow the rules didn't apply to them because they were in charge after all. So you got to do what they say, but they don't have to do what they say. Well, that's not justice. That's not right. That's not righteousness. So when Father says through um, the psalmist that you've magnified, that word magnified means to lift, to exalt, your word above all your name, we're seeing that Father submits Himself to His own Word. Let me say it another way, and I know this is, you know, like sometimes we throw around tearing a hole in the fabric of the universe and kind of those things tongue-in-cheek. Literally, if, if, for Father, if Father was to violate His Word, He would no longer be God. That's, that's how sure and steady the Word of God is and how much He intends for us to um, uh, trust it and have confidence in it. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Alright, let's... Uh, thank you, Jesus. Let's do this. Let's go to... Um, let's go to John 8. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. And um, I, I did skip just one section. I'm not, I'm not cheating you of something. Um, it, it's, it's some things that we've already mentioned and talked about, but we will get into in greater detail in the future. Um, while you're turning to John 8, while you're turning to John 8, let me just remind you again that we're, we're learning to rightly divide and skillfully apply the Word of God. And that verse that we looked at, Psalm 138, where it says that God prefers His Word above His name, He tells you and me in 2 Corinthians 10 that any thought that would try to exalt itself against the Word of God, that we have to bring that thought captive. And one of the things that we talked about in the beginning of this section was that we need to give the Word of God place in our lives. We need to give it a place of overriding supremacy. Not just first place, not just you know, a top priority, but we need to put the Word of God in a place in our lives, in our estimation, in our valuation, that literally everything else bows its knee to it. Not just is second to it, but... but but succumbs to it and, and, and that it, His Word rules over these things. I was wanting to show you that in Psalm 138 because you know, that's where we began, but you know, this isn't just something that you know, we do and Father doesn't. He, he does this as well. He prefers His Word above all His name. Above, in other words, every, everything that you have ever known about Him through the different names he's used to identify himself with, he's saying to you that his word is in a place even higher than that. Okay? I know this is, I'm not trying to get us bogged down here, but in 2 Corinthians 10, where he talks about um, you know, these thoughts that would try to exalt themselves against the word of God, if the word of God says you were healed and circumstances 
symptoms and sense realm evidence says that you're not, see, that's thinking that's trying to take a higher place. It's try, for it to take a higher place means that it carries more weight, that we put more stock in, right? The lie that says, you know, you're not healed. The lie that says um, it doesn't work. The, these kinds of things. And so this is spiritual warfare when, you know, these thoughts try to exalt themselves in a place higher, in, in, in a place of higher influence uh, in your life than the Word of God. Amen? Remember I told you that time when I had this, all these issues going on with my foot and the, and the podiatrist, everybody basically said, you're going to just deal with that the rest of your life. I mean, that's not what Jesus bled to death naked on the cross for me to have. And, and I never, it's just clear as it bell, not audible voice, but inward in my spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit led me to this. He's like, if, if the Word says you're healed and your foot says you're not, somebody's lying. Somebody's not. Because both can't be right. Right? You understand what I'm saying? Either, either, either God's wrong or my foot's wrong, but somebody's wrong. If... if yeah, are you following what I'm saying here? Amen? So, you know, I, I just remember, I said, well, you know, I, in that moment, I just said, well, I'm, my foot's lying to me then because God, you never have and can't lie. Amen. See, that, that's, that's for, but now I struggled with that thing for a long time because that thought kept, well, you're not healed, you're, you're trying to get healed, one day you will be healed, you know, the, you know, instead of I'm healed, I am the healed, I believe I've already received. And so in that moment, you know, I'm like, okay, either 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 First Peter two twenty four is wrong, or the pain in my foot is wrong, and I'm going with the pain in my foot. Amen. And it wasn't just a few days after that, amen, that uh, I came out of my uh, boot, amen, and haven't been back in it since. Praise God. All right. So we'll we'll talk more about that when we get to the section about renewing our minds. Okay, but for now. Let me just remind you in conjunction with the, the place that Father gives His Word and what's before you and me is to give His Word that same place in our lives. Amen. Amen. Alright, now, in John the 8th chapter, we see yet again where the religious establishment is trying to embarrass Jesus. They're, they're, they're always trying to you know trick Him and always trying to ask him like a question that can't be answered and and I think they just you know sit around some of the most brilliant minds if you will in in religion you know set up burning the midnight oil trying to come up with these schemes to make Jesus look silly and foolish and, and of course that never worked out for them um, and it just shows you the superiority of God's wisdom over man's wisdom um, and so this is an, another uh, situation here that we find in John the 8th chapter. And so verse number 12, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Now, let me stop here for just a moment. In those days, uh, rabbis and teachers and what have you, they, they would study under other 
highly respected um, rabbis and then when they would teach or speak publicly, they would do so like with that particular uh, person's blessing and, and, and like they were under their umbrella. Okay, So if you've ever read in the Bible about this man named Gamaliel, Gamaliel was one of these highly respected, um, I mean no disrespect sir, but like you know Yoda, you know what I'm saying, any Star Wars folks in here? Yeah, he was like, okay, you know, the guru, so to speak. Um, and so, if, if you were to have had the, the privilege of studying under Gamaliel, that would have opened a lot of doors for you. You, you would have really had a lot of respect. Um, and, and then what anyone who studied under him would have done is they would have basically went and taught what it was that Gamaliel taught them. And so when they said of Jesus that you bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true, they're basically saying you didn't study under anybody that's respected. You, you're just out there as this lone wolf, so to speak. Now, we see that there was both a physical and spiritual standard that was established in the Old Testament. And that standard is basically in the mouth of two witnesses. Okay? Anybody ever heard that expression? In the mouth of two witnesses. And so the physical, um, the physical application for that, um, you know, let's say Chase has been accused of something, um, the testimony of one witness would not be enough to convict him. It would require two witnesses. You see this when they were trying to get people to falsely accuse Jesus. They could get a lot of people that would come in and say things about him, but they couldn't find another person that would say the same thing. right? They're looking for that corroborating witness is how we would say it in our legal system today. Now, the, the carryover effect of that, because remember we said there was a physical application, but there's also a spiritual application, and, and that is that you, know, you need to find it in the Word of God in at least two places. right? So in, in the mouth of two or more witnesses, let a matter be established. So... They were basically saying, Jesus, there's no way you can be right because you're the only one that's saying what you're saying. You, you, are, you do not have a corroborating, respected uh, voice you know, to, to you know, basically say that what you're saying is correct. Well, how many of you know Jesus did have that? <laughs> it was called His Father. Amen? <laughs> right? Because Jesus said, well, listen, I don't say anything just like understudies of Gamaliel wouldn't have said anything unless Gamaliel taught it and endorsed it, Jesus is saying, I don't say anything unless my Father says it. Right? And so, if it's two witnesses that we need, Father makes one, Jesus makes two. Are you following this? Okay. But again, they were so thick-headed, they wouldn't listen to those things. Now, verse 14 is a really important verse, not just as it relates to what I've just told you, but as to what all this means and what Jesus communicated when He said these next things. Jesus answered and said to them, verse 14, John 8 and 14, Even if I bear witness of Myself, My witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from and where I am going. Okay? Wow. Now, 
There are some things that are implied here that are stated other places. And I'm not trying to add to, but if I could show you a more modern translation of John 8 and 14. This is the Passion Translation. You'll see what is implied, and I, I really appreciate this translation for including this. Jesus responded, just because I'm the one making these claims doesn't mean they're invalid, for I absolutely know who I am, where I've come from, and where I'm going. All right. So it wasn't just that Jesus knew where He came from and knew where He was going, but He also knew who He was. All right. Are you following me? So Jesus knew who He was, Jesus knew where He came from, and Jesus knew where He was going. Okay? All right now. I see some of you writing, so I'm going to give you a minute to write here because um, these are some really, really important uh, uh, truths here. Amen? Jesus knew who He was. Do you realize how many people on planet Earth today have no idea who they are? <laughs> Absolutely clueless. I hope you're making some progress there, but do you have any idea how many people in this room didn't have any idea who they were just a few months ago? You know. Um, amen. <laughs> or maybe you knew part of it, right? You know, you're learning more and more. So Jesus knew who He was. He, notice now Jesus is saying, this is what gives him the authority to speak truth. It's because he knows who he is. He knew where he came from. I like that right there. Know where we came from, sister. That's right. And he knew where he was going, or we could even say we knew where he was headed, right? He knew that. He knew that. Now, You know reckon is a Bible word, right? Reckon this is some pretty important information here. Do you think it would help you to know this or to know more about these things than you know right now? I think it might help us in life if we had the context. Do you understand context? If we had the context of these things. Context is um, <clears throat> like if you've ever heard the expression that was taken out of context. Did you know the Bible says there is no God? It absolutely says there is no God. But that's out of context. What the Bible actually says is the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Okay? But notice now, if I just pull that phrase, there is no God out, I'm telling you, it's a fact, the Bible says, there is no God. But out of context, see, context is what provides the meaning. Now, we were created to live a meaningful life. Are you with me? This, we, God created you, you matter. You're, you, your life is supposed to mean something. You, 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 you know, we... We weren't made senseless without sense. Remember, you had a purpose and a plan in God, in Christ, and the grace to carry that purpose and plan out before the world began. I mean, everything about you, right? It, 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 there's meaning, there's purpose, there's reason, there's destiny, there's promise, all of these things, right? 
But this is what I've learned in my own life experience and in working with a whole lot of folks over the years. There can be no meaning in life without context. You can't have meaning without context. Okay? And so what we're talking about right here is context. Listen, I decided a while back just to quit having bad days. Now, you say, Pastor Mark, you can't do that. Oh, yes, yes, I can. You came too late to tell me that. Amen. Amen. I just decided to quit having bad days. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't some days that are more challenging than others. See, we talked on Sunday about a blessing mindset. And that's in complete opposition to the mindset most people have on planet earth, which is a mindset formed by the curse, not by the blessing. A blessing mindset says, I always triumph in Christ Jesus. This really irritates the devil when you say this, okay? Even when it looks like I'm losing, I'm winning. Even when the circumstances say, looks like you're having a bad day, Pastor Mark. I'm going to look at you and I'm going to go, I don't know what you're talking about. Having a glorious day. One of my favorite quotes from Coach Saban. Somebody comes to him talking about a bad day. You know what he's going to ask him? Compared to what? Compared to what? Pastor Sam Chelly-Dry talks about a turning point in his life when he just walked, I don't know, a few miles outside of a fairly populated city in India, and there on the side of the road sat a, a man who was so impoverished, sick, in poverty, hungry, thirsty, and completely naked, had absolutely no clothes to put on his body, not because he was trying to, you know, do something off color, or off base, or whatever. Literally, he had no clothes. And he said it, this overwhelming sense came upon him. If that was me, would somebody come from this city to help me? If that was me sitting there, would somebody come from this city out here to help me? Turning point in his life. And I'm going to tell you, he has helped millions. Amen. And is to this, to this day. Praise God. So again, I'm going too far down this road. But compared to what? Amen. Compared to what? But the context, right? See, if you know who you are and you know where you came from and you know where you're going, that provides context for the challenging days of life. Yes, sir, my brother. Count it all joy. Right? It's attitude when you fall into different kinds of test trials and temptations. Knowing that what's being tested, not you, is your faith. It's the devil bringing pressure against your faith. Amen. But see, again, if we don't have the context, if we, if we have no idea who we are, if we have... See, when you know who you are and you know where you came from and you know where you're going, the, the battle lines become really clear. 
We're not, we're not thinking that God is the one doing this. He goes on to say in James 1, let no man say when he's tested, tempted, or tried that he's been tested, tempted, or tried by God. See, you won't ever have that confidence till you know who you are, know where you came from, know where you're going. You understand what's, what's going on down here. Amen. So, from this verse, we come to the section that I call three questions. Three questions. I try not to give you a lot of verses out of the message translation because I know a lot of you don't have that, so I'm just going to put it on the board. This is one of my favorites, like Matthew 13 and 52. This is one of my favorites from the message translation. It takes Romans 1 and really puts it in some words that I think hit home. Um, just see once I read this if you can't relate to it from your past. Okay. It says, But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over the truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes, and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of His divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat Him like God, refusing to worship Him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. Trivialize themselves. To trivialize something means to make it less than what it is, you know, to to downplay it, you know, to, to devalue it. Uh, to, think it's, to think something is trivial means to think it's not important. And of course, we are very important in the plan of God. You are very important in the plan of God. But notice, we trivialized ourselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in our lives. Let me, let me stop here for a moment. I'm not going to try to do this in its entirety right now. But what we see in the masterpiece that is um, the book of Romans is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. Uh, if you're listening by audio, I'm, I'm acting this out, but I'm holding my left hand up really high. And the idea is that he's saying God created us to live way up here. But instead, we're living, and so now my right hand is about a foot beneath my left hand in the air, right? We're living below this. We're living beneath. Um, we were created to live up here, but instead we're living down here. And, and so Paul is beginning to answer the question, what happened? If we were created to live here and we're living here, how do we go from here to here? He's going to answer that question for us in basically the first three chapters uh, of um, three plus of um, the book of Romans, and then he's going to present to us um, Father's answer to get us from here back to here. Okay, let me give you a clue, right? Those who have received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall rule and reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. All right, that's chapter five. We got 
some classes to get to before we get there, okay? All right? I'm just wanting to just bless you tonight with that, all right? But, so here he's saying, what Timothy Keller, some of you may have heard me say this before, Timothy Keller uses the example of a jeweler who takes a black velvet cloth out, lays it on top of the glass display case, and then puts the diamond on the black velvet so that the diamond will pop, okay? And that's what's happening here in these first three chapters or so of the book of Romans. It's the Holy Spirit putting the black velvet cloth down, literally painting the picture of, of where we all are. The scripture has concluded all under sin. I mean, all these things he's saying, right? He's painting a pretty grim picture with that, putting that black velvet down. But man, he is fixing to put that diamond of justification, redemption by the blood of Jesus and the grace of God on that black velvet. So it'll, are you hearing what I'm saying? Praise God. So it'll, it'll pop and pop beautifully. So again, what happened was, right, that's what he's saying here. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat Him like God, the wheels came off, refusing to worship Him. Remember, worship is acknowledging who God is and who we are in relationship to Him. What happened then was we trivialized ourselves because we lost the context, right? Now, because the only place we can find out who we are, where we came from, and where we're headed is from God. Now, we're no longer, you know, bothering with Him. Uh, We're we doing our own thing. So we lose the context by refusing to worship Him, acknowledge who He is. We trivialize ourselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. Pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. I imagine some of the chuckles in the room tonight was because you can relate. Amen. But thank God He's brought us out of that. Amen. Dr. Miles Monroe says um, that man's greatest ignorance is of himself. That man's greatest ignorance is of himself. And he... Uh, thank God he's with Jesus. I look forward to getting to spend some time with him one day on the other side. And, um, but, you know, his books and his writings and ministries really made an impact on my life. But he says that man's greatest ignorance is of himself. And he very beautifully goes on to say and talk about all these things that we know so much more about than we, than we know. We know more about those things than we know about our own existence, about our own um, you know, again, back to those three questions involving where we came from, who we are, and where we're going, okay? Now, <clears throat> I say those, that's really not the three questions, the context that Jesus had that he wants each of us to have, all right? Now, so let's, let's talk about these three questions. <clears throat> the first one, now, we're going to flip the order on you. For those of you, sometimes people get a little irritated at me when they lay their notes out, and then I reverse things on them. So I'm just giving you an overview, but there's a reason why I'm doing it this way, not just to play some trick on you, all right? The first question is the question, why am I? Why am I? Okay? And... That 
particular question coincides with or relates to the word purpose. Purpose. Okay? Now, let's talk about this for a moment. Because you and me living our best life, living our best lives, is going to be focused upon and around fulfilling our purpose. The sweet spot of life, my brother my sister, is knowing why you're here, why you exist, and be involved in doing that thing with your life as unto the Lord and with the people that He has ordained for you to do it with. Okay. Um, from my experience, long-term lifetime recovery is impossible without this. Amen. Um, the folks that I have seen go on to great things in life, become a threat to addiction, excel in life, are the men and women that find and give themselves to the purpose for which God created them. Okay. I, I could spend, and we've you know, got about, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes left in here tonight. It's going by fast. But I could spend the rest of our time tonight just talking about the importance of this. And don't misunderstand me. We're going we're gonna to get to that in the days ahead. But while this is an extremely important question, there is another question that has to be answered before we're really in a position to answer this one. And let me, let me tell you why. So the next, the next question I want to draw your attention to is, who am I? Who am I? And, and that particular question coincides with, correlates with identity. Identity. Okay? So, why am I has to do with your purpose. Why am I here? People um, instinctively, uh, especially like if they had a close brush with death, what I'm about to say, right? Man, there must be a reason for me to still be here. You know. Well, you know what? They're right. Not just a reason for you to still be here. There's always been a reason for you to be here. And notice how we, maybe when it's like in those moments in life where we, you know, our life flashed before our eyes or what have you, those are some of the things that come out of us. But that's woven into us. We, we were created by a God of purpose for a specific purpose. Not random, specific purpose. Okay? But then there's this question, who am I? And it has to do with your identity. Identity. Now, what I want to help you understand tonight, and I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit, is you will never be able to grasp or lay hold of your purpose, why you are, until you have laid hold of your true identity. Because why you are is staggering. Your purpose is staggering. Jesus said in John 14, 12, you will do the works that He did and even greater works because He goes to His Father. 
Okay? Again, that is included in your purpose. Remember, He told the, the original disciples to go and preach, and then He says, everybody who believes because you preach will speak with new tongues, will cast out devils, will lay their hands upon the sick, and the sick will recover. All of these things have to do with your purpose. But see, again, if, if, when we don't understand who we are, our purpose is too grand for us. There's nothing in place to rest it on or to support it. Okay? You still with me? Right. So I'm very interested in answering this question for you. But there's one we got to answer before that. Okay? You follow me? Because I could, I could sit here and talk to you all day about this. And you may take notes. You may say some, you know, amen. You might even get up and run around the church and come back and sit down and speak in tongues or whatever. But there's got to be something in place in your life to help you lay hold of that. And if you don't know who you are, you'll never know why you are. Okay? Now, as important as these two questions are, and as important as the order of these two questions are, there's actually one that has to come even before these two. And that's the third question. The third question is, what am I? What am I? And what am I has to do with your origin. Your origin. What am I? Okay? Now, I'm going to show you in the Scriptures where the question is asked, what is man? What is man? Not who am I, not why am I, but what am I? Okay? Now, what I've learned in a lot of years of ministry is, again, this is the sweet spot. Knowing our true purpose and fulfilling it. Okay? Identity, oh man. When we begin to understand who we are in Christ, when, when our, because remember, your behavior lines up with what you believe to be true about yourself. Who, who you believe you are is going to determine how you behave. So when you really start to have your mind renewed and you start laying hold of the truth, of what God says about you, who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ, you start seeing yourself in, in that light, you start believing those things to be true about you, your belief system starts to change, that false beliefs, things you believed about yourself that weren't true, are being rooted out by the truth, whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. If you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. My friend, you, This again, it can't happen without identity. can't happen without identity. Right? But in the same way, without knowing who you are, there's nowhere for why you are to, to, to be established, nothing for it to rest upon, so to speak, in your life. The same is true with what am I. In other words, until you know what you are, you're in no position to know who you are. And until you know who you are, you're really in no position to know why you are. Some of these things the Lord began to teach me many years ago. Um, Pam and I uh, knew that we were called in the ministry. Ministry was something I knew that I was 
to be a part of. One of the ways that I know from a very early age that, that it was the call of God on my life is because I really didn't want to do it. I wanted to be a medical doctor. I really had no desire in, in ministry. And, and, um, but it was one of those things, man, It just I knew in my heart. And So when I was 12 years old, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And really at that time is when I said yes to, to the, the Lord's you know, calling me to minister. And, and um, I love to travel. I, I really wanted to be an evangelist but knew that I was supposed to pastor. And Anyway, I'm just giving you some overview here of, of, of a little bit of my journey. And so Pam and I, we, we did the denominational thing, and, and thank God for you know, the wonderful denominations that we were able to serve in. But you know, while I believe you know, those ministries and, and, and folks have their place, that really it wasn't for us. Um, we, we wanted to, and it was in our hearts to you know, be able to serve people no matter what kind of background they came from, no matter what troubles they struggled with, um, no matter what color skin was on their outward man. Are you hearing me? Amen. And 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 to and to just um, I'm not a I'm not into politics. I'm I'm not into um, again. I'm not here to speak negatively against any church, any denomination, or, or anything that they do. I'm thankful for them. Um, but, but I, to be honest with you, I was chewed up and spit out by all that. It's just it, I'm, I'm not cut out for it. And um, my children are very young. Um, we found ourselves after several years of of struggling, if you will, in full-time ministry. Um, unemployed and my wife asked me she said with two small children she looked at me she said what are we going to do and I heard myself say it was almost like somebody else said it and I heard I heard it at the same time she heard it I heard myself say I'm going to start a cabinet shop I'm going to start a cabinet business and of course it's just a beautiful woman of God and faith and grace that the Lord blessed me with she looked at me and she said okay and so that's what we did. And again, I'm going over a year's worth of things here. Um, I just, I, I was never, I never intended to preach again. Never intended to uh, be on staff at a church again. I was going to be a wealthy businessman. I was going to fund missionaries to go into places to preach the gospel. And I was going to, fall on the grace of God and mercy of God when I stood before him one day when he asked me why I didn't minister since that's what he called me to do. Now, I was messed up, I was hurt, all of that, right? We sing a song here at Heritage sometime. Every now and then it, it says, you've, re, you've healed and renewed my mind in a time of friend I could, I could hardly find. And, um, and that for me was... Um, a company that we did some work for sent us to South Florida for six weeks. And um, it was just good to get away because you run into people in Walmart, hey, hey, where are y'all at now? What happened? You know, and I'm not going to speak negatively about any church or any pastor, you know. And so it was just good to get away from it. My parents came down and visited us while we were down there. And um, 
saw the look on their face when they left. You know, they're like, ooh, Lord, he may not be coming back. Um, we were making a lot of money. My family was in a luxury apartment in Boca Raton, and this com company was treating us very well. And um, Anyway, I'm probably giving you too many details on all this, but we... Um, we did wind up coming back home, and um, I just wanted to know the truth. I love my Baptist brothers, I love my Methodist brothers, I love my Catholic brothers, I love my Assembly of God brothers, I love my Church of God brothers. I, I, you know, I've served and ministered in, in all those different denominational settings and, and been loved by those folks and loved them. And, and, um, but obviously there's a lot of disagreement between all those titles that I just released out there, right? And I came to a conclusion in my life that, you know, while men are confused, God is not. And I wanted to know the truth so I could teach it to my children. I didn't want them to be as confused as I was about these things. Well, there's a man named Eddie Gossett. Eddie Gossett was pastoring a church down in Vance. This was when Mercedes was coming in down there. And there was an expectation that that area was really going to blow up in population, you know, growth and stuff. And so... He pioneered a church down there. And my dad ran into Eddie somewhere, I don't know, a grocery store or something. And Eddie wanted to know what I was doing. Dad said, he's building cabinets. Eddie said, you mean he's not preaching? And something this long, Daddy says, well, no, just pray about that, Eddie. Eddie said, I'm going to do more and pray about that, Dave. I'm going to call him, ask him, come preach for me. And he did. Preached for him on a Sunday night. And there was a freedom, there was a liberty, there was, a, there was an anointing. Like, to be honest with you, I'd ex experienced very rarely um, in my life. And um, I went home from that experience happy, blessed, but at the same time confused. <coughs> he called me the next day and he said, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of a little weary down here. I've been working hard by myself, you know, basically. He said, would you preach for me the next, it was several next Sunday nights in a row. He said, we've got a Dr. Mike Brown that's coming to preach revival for us. And he said, would you preach every Sunday night till he comes, kind of like a pre-revival thing. And I said, sure. And um, That was when the Lord really began to speak some things to mine and Pam's heart. And I never forget one night she put the kids to bed and she came down to the den and she looked at me and started crying. <laughs> she said, I know that look. And that was when the Lord had spoken to us and we said that night that the first Sunday in June of 1998 that we were going to clear all the cabinet displays out of our showroom and we were going to set up some chairs and we were going to get a metal stand and we were going to start a church and if nobody came but my wife and children, we were going to start a church. Amen. Had a salesman worked for me in those days, Frank Ledbetter. We were standing at Jackson Bessemer going over some paperwork, and he said, what's troubling you? I said, Jack, uh, Frank, I'm just struggling with this thought of that it's time to start a church, and he looked at me. I'll never forget it. He said, I want you to do it, Mark. He said, because I don't want us to be standing here 20 years from now, and you say, I sure wish I'd have started a church 20 years ago, Frank. And I know that sounds so simple, but 
I don't know, it's when he said that, it was like that was the last little thing that pushed me over the edge, you know. So obviously if you're about to start a church, you need a name for a church, right? <laughs> so, and when folks began to find out, we got lots of suggestions, but the Lord spoke to our hearts again very clearly. I've given my people an inheritance and I want you to teach them about it. Heritage Christian Center. Your heritage is what belongs to you because of who you are. Let me say that again. Your, your heritage is what belongs to you because of who you are. In Mark the 10th chapter, a young man comes up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? His question was broken. You don't do anything to inherit. You inherit based upon identity. Your, your heritage is what belongs to you because of who you are. I am David and Brenda Winslet's heir because I am David and Brenda Winslet's son. I have an older brother and a younger sister who also happen to be David and Brenda Winslet's heir. Amen. So we started in June of 98 with this idea that we were going to teach people what belonged to them because of who they were. And it was sailing clean over their heads. Why? Because they didn't know who they were. So I was trying to teach people what belonged to them because of who they were, and most of those folks didn't know who they were. I was getting a lot of amens. Right? But their thinking was, I don't know who he's talking about, but that person sure is blessed. <laughs> See? See how this works? Because there's no way he's talking about me. There's no way I'm a son of God. There's no way I'm, right, because they didn't know. And the Lord began to show me, before you can ever teach them what belongs to them because of who they are, you've got to teach them who they are. So from there, we began to teach people their identity in Christ. And after we launched that, the Lord showed me that there's something deeper still. And that's your origin. You've got to understand what you are in order to understand who you are. And you've got to understand who you are in order to understand why you are. Okay? Now, what I have learned in my life that folks who have allowed me or somebody else to teach them these things, they have gone on to live the life that God created them to live their best life, right? Because see, a lot of times we think, man, I, I understand all that, Pastor Mark, but I, I need you to tell me how to manage my money. I understand all that, Pastor Mark, but I need you to tell me how to quit shooting heroin. I understand all that, Pastor Mark, but them blame cigarettes, I don't know what in the world I'm going to see. Again, right? Let me tell you the day you quit smoking cigarettes is the day you realize you're not a smoker. The day you realize it's not who you are. Four packs a day, do you realize you weren't that? That's not who you are. That's not, right? So again, I'm not trying to exaggerate the importance of this, but I'm not sure I can exaggerate the importance of all this. See, 
if the devil makes his living by deceiving, ignorance on our part equals an advantage on his. That's what Jesus said. We're not ignorant of the devil's devices lest he gain an advantage over us. When we don't know, very easy for the devil. I'm going to be the first to raise my hand. Anybody in here besides me believe the lie about who you are? Right? And why do we believe the lie about who, who we truly, you know, who we, who we are? We believe the lie because we didn't know. But man, once you know the truth, once you know the truth, right, you'll sprain your index finger trying to change the channel when some guy on a Christian radio station starts hollering out, I'm a nobody. No. No. If I'm a if I'm a good for nothing nobody, then God's a fool for paying such a high price for me. Right? And he's not a fool. Matthew sixteen. I know you're going to Matthew 16. Mark 10, 17 is where he said, What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Let's go to Matthew 16. We've got a few minutes left. Thank you, Jesus. So, what's happening here is Jesus asks them who... Who do men say that I am? And, and they kind of give him the you know, G-rated version. Uh, people were saying some pretty rough things about him. A demon-possessed Samaritan with suicidal tendencies, for example, is one of the things that they were saying. And they said, oh, rabbi, prophet, teacher. Then he turns the tables and he says, but who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And... Peter says, inspired by, revealed to him by the Father in heaven, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay? And Jesus says in um, verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed, in heaven. We've covered those before, but I want you to connect them with these next two verses. Verse 20. I'm sorry, I put it off the screen there. Verse 20, Then He commanded His disciples that they should tell no one that He was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, I'm not trying to ask you a trick question, but verse 21. Did that have to do with His origin, His identity, or His purpose? His purpose, right? Clearly His purpose. Jesus, for the first time now, He shifted into purpose mode. 
He's telling them why He's here. He's telling them His destiny. He's telling them the future. He knows it. He knows what's going to happen. He knows He... Because remember, he knew, where he, he knew who He was, He knew where He came from, knew where He was going. He knew these things. But notice, He never mentioned it until His identity was first revealed. It wasn't until who He truly was was made known by the Father through Simon Peter to the rest of the disciples that Jesus then begins to explain His destiny. Okay? So here is my simple three-word statement from all of that. Identity unlocks destiny. Identity unlocks destiny. It wasn't until his identity was revealed that he began to share his destiny. Because think about it now. Without the identity piece, he could have told him his destiny, but if he's just another man like them, it ain't going to matter that he, go, he goes to that cross. Right? You understand? If he's born of the corrupted seed of Adam, there's, there's no telling how many people Rome had crucified that day. But because of who he is and was, and, and, and still is, disqualified him uniquely for the destiny that awaited him. Now, you don't have to turn there, but let me, I'll put the verse up on the screen. Isaiah 28 and 10. We've mentioned this verse throughout multiple times. Precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. See, when I quote Isaiah 28.10, you know, y'all think I'm just being repetitive because I'm sometimes repetitive to make the point. No, you'd be repetitive on this one, you'd be here all day. Because it's got, it's got repetition built in. Okay? So, a, a precept has to do like with uh, an instruction. Uh, uh, think of like a principle of truth that's a concept would be like an idea a precept would be like this is how you do it precept must be upon precept so the idea is one here then another one then another one then another one layered precept must be upon precept precept upon precepts we got back to back to back to back precepts right line upon line line upon line here a little, there a little. What he's telling us here is how truth's built into our lives. And the example to me, the comparable, is uh, a man laying brick. He lays them line upon line. Or we could say row upon row. But in this case, it's not row upon row, it's precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. And while we can make a lot of progress in a brief period of time, if we're consistent, it still is here a little, there a little. Has your capacity to receive the Word expanded since you've committed yourself to these classes? See, I mean, it's like, two-hour class, are you kidding me? Right? But see, again, you've, you're being stretched. You're, you're, a demand's being placed on your potential. 
you're, you're able to focus more, you're able to pay attention longer, you're able to, you follow what I'm saying? I'm, I'm blessing you, commending you, all right? But still, you, you can't learn it all in five minutes. If you're going to have sound doctrine in your life, the Bible says it's going to require some endurance. And then the last days, one of the reasons people are always learning never coming to the knowledge of the truth because they will not endure sound doctrine. And sometimes enduring means you've got to sit still for a little while. I mean, I, you know. But precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. I'm not telling you this to brag. I'm just telling you. After having taught however many hours I'll, I'll get to be blessed to teach today, when I get in my truck and drive home tonight, I'll put on a little more. I'm going to probably listen to Keith Moore on the way home tonight. I don't know, what does it take me to get home? 15 minutes? Not even probably 15 minutes. You say, well, what in the world could you learn in 15 minutes? Oh, man. You know what I'm saying? Praise God. I don't know what just happened, but it, something just happened there. Amen. So, here a little, there a little. Never underestimate, you know, the opportunity. It, you know, I know some of you, for different reasons, don't have a smartphone right now. But, you know, get you a little New Testament, put it in your shirt pocket, put it in your purse, ladies, whatever. You know, five, ten minutes waiting at a, for your pizza or whatever. <laughs> Whip it out, right? Here a little, there a little. Here a little, there a little. Line upon line, line upon line. Precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Yes. Amen. 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 Because over time it accumulates. Right? Then, you know, one one day you you wake up and and um you're uh, you you you're talking to somebody and you're like where's all this coming from? You know? It's coming out of you. It's coming out of you. It's like God speaking through you. You know? My, uh, my son-in-law, man, I'm so blessed. Jake is just such a blessing. I mean, whew, get emotional. Well, his sister got married last week, and um, they, uh, you know how you do the speech or whatever at the rehearsal dinner? And they asked Jake to say a few words. Well, Pam and I, we weren't, we weren't there for that part. We were at the wedding the next night. And people that known Jake since he was little, you know, Jake's kind of quiet. He runs deep, but he's quiet. You know, he, you know. They were coming up to me, and they're like, "You should have heard him last night. Should have heard what was coming out of him last night. Stuff he was saying, the authority he was saying it with, right? Yeah, here a little, there a little, right?" Come to that tipping point we talk about a lot, right? Comes a day when you know too much about it to doubt it anymore. It just, it just, you know. I was thinking about my good friend, Brother Jerry O'Dell. He had an adult daughter that pneumonia, didn't realize how serious it was. And doctor, hospital should have probably kept her, sent her home. And, and she wound up dying. It's horrible. Horrible. 
And I was just, you know, trying to love on him and talk to him about it. And, and I think he knew what I was doing because he's older and wiser, you know. And I think he was, he just wanted to let me know that he was okay. And he said, Pastor Mark, he said, look, this, this hurts and there's some things about it I don't understand. He said, but I've walked with the Lord through so many things at this point in my life. He said, he said, not, you know, I mean, I'm okay. I mean, I, you know, I mean, it comes a point when you just, <laughs> even if you don't understand, you know God's good. Even, if, even when it doesn't make sense to you, you don't, you know, it's, amen. He's, he's, he's still God, amen. And, and I think some of you are, are getting there. You know, you, <laughs> you know I've, I'm, 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 I've got a front row seat. See, some of you think y'all are on the front row. I'm the one on the front row, right? I'm watching what the Lord's doing in you. I'm listening to you, to you talk, right? I remember when so much fear used to come out of your mouth, sister, and now faith, I could hear you talking faith, people crumbling around you, people crumbling around her, and she, she's, not, she's not moved by it other than she's moved with compassion for them, she's praying for them, right? See, that's, that's God doing stuff inside of you. That's precept upon precept upon precept upon precept. I had the opportunity to lay some brick recently. It's been a long time since I've laid brick. And I'll be honest with you, I, it wasn't my best effort. But it, it turned out okay. Um, but the last time I laid a lot of brick, my dad built a garage and, and my my cousin married a brick mason and he came to help us and when you're sitting there just laying them and laying them and laying them you don't realize but I don't know I got sent to the store for the hamburgers or something I guess and when I came back I was like man you know y'all made a lot of progress and they're looking at me all sweaty like yeah dude you've been in the air conditioning you know hush you know but but they had right but sometimes we're so close to the progress we're making we don't realize we're making it. When my kids were little, I'd, some of you heard me say this, I'd go to Georgia to work and come back, and I'd always be amazed at how much they'd grown just in five or six days. Of course, I'm with them every day, I don't realize it, but when you, especially at that age, you know, and sometimes I think some of you are so close to your own progress, you don't realize how much you've made. Amen. Have you found yourself in similar situations responding differently? Do you understand what I mean by that? A time in your life, man, instead of Instead of praying for them, you'd have gave them a piece of your mind. <laughs> Instead of blessing them, you'd have called them anything but a child of God. Now you just love them. Your heart goes out. You know, again, that's you're growing, right? Things are are happening on the inside of you. Amen. Amen. So the point being, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. We got to get what we are from the scriptures, so that we've got something to rest who we are on so we've got something to rest you can't lay row 43 on the brick wall until you lay rows 1 through 42 but man as as that starts building and in the same way that lies give way to more lies well they say like like potato chips it's hard to stop at one the more truth you learn the more position, the better position you're in to learn more truth. 
it compounds, it, 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 it increases faster. And, and, and because remember, Paul came to the Corinthians, he said, to teach them some really important things, but because they were still so carnally minded, he couldn't teach it to them. And now he's come back again, and he says, I, I still can't teach you these things because you're still carnal. You st their minds, remember Jesus said, I've got so much to tell you, but you can't bear it now. There was no, he could have told them, they could have took notes, they could have regurgitated it, but Jesus knew the lines that needed to be put in place first weren't there. And there were really important things that they needed to be taught, but until other things were in place, there was nothing there for it to, to, to rest upon in their lives. And that's one of the reasons why I get so excited about you guys committing yourself to these classes, because these are those fundamental things, right? Once, once you get this context in place in your life and, and you become certain of what you are and who you are and why you are, amen, amen. Let me, I'm going to ask one, one last way and I'm going to pray, right? Have, have you ever felt like life made no sense? You ever felt like you trivialized yourself in the silliness and confusions? There's neither sense nor direction left in our lives. Again, if that's, the negative aspect of no context, the positive aspect of context is so much more. It's like when he said, you know, Adam's disobedience produced negative consequences in our lives, but how much more are the positive consequences produced in our lives by what Jesus has now done for us? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, you're good to us tonight. Thank you for what you're helping us lay hold of. Thank you for what's ahead. Thank you, Father, that you have put answers for us in your word, Lord, to all kinds of questions. But, Lord, especially we thank you tonight for the answers that you've put for these fundamentals, these basics. And I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in the lives of my brothers and sisters. I thank you, Father, that you are being glorified in them and through them and by them and the fruit that you're producing through their lives is bringing glory to your name, and it's fruit that will remain. We declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.